gathered uh, today to worship the Lord, and uh, this morning's all a special uh, Sunday in the sense that uh, we have come today to take part in communion or supper, and it's uh, an opportunity for us to observe, some, observe something that the early church uh, began, and we continue to, to this day uh, to do that, and Paul tells us specifically uh, in Corinthians why we're to do that. Now, uh, before we do that, I want to begin uh, with our church covenant because as much of the relationship uh, that we have with the Lord, and of course uh, it is the Lord's Supper, but as we'll learn later, sometimes the things that hinder us from really being obedient to what this is about uh, is our relationship with one another. And so here at Liberty Baptist Church, um, we have uh, what we call a church covenant. Upon uh, you coming to faith in Christ or you making a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you desiring to unite with Liberty Baptist Church, uh, most likely you have uh, been given a copy of this or I've talked to you to some degree about it. Uh, and I've asked you this question. Do you commit, do you believe, do you commit uh, to the principles that are outlined in the church covenant. And so uh, this morning, uh, we want to read through. There are five uh, paragraphs, and it should be up on the screen here. And you don't have to read aloud with me, uh, but certainly read along uh, with me, and I think that's big enough that you can uh, see it. I might need that monitor up here. But anyway, um, our church covenant begins this way. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly most joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deployment, to avoid all tattling and backbiting and excessive anger, to abstain from the production, the sale, the use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage or illegal drugs, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. And we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, and to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rule of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place we will as soon as possible unite with some other Baptist church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. And finally, one last statement. 
I believe personally in the principles set forth in this covenant as they are based on biblical precepts and intend to be committed to carry them out in this local church. If you've ever wondered what an active member of a local church looks like, that's the answer. Someone who carries out the spirit of their church covenant. In other words, to sum that up, we are simply a body of believers united through faith, committed to becoming a disciple of Christ, committed to evangelizing the lost, committed to prayer and devotion to the family of God, and committed to carrying out the spirit of this covenant wherever I'm at. And that I believe with faithful action that level of commitment in the principles that are set forth in this covenant because they're based in the Word. And therefore I intend honestly with great effort to carry them out here in this place. Uh, God's family, first and foremost, we're united through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it means something to be a part of the local church. It always has. Um, there is a price to pay. Uh, it will cost you something. Because we declare that God's church is above any organization of human origin. There is none other. No other institution that God has laid His hand on to be used in a way in accordance with Scripture to minister to and reach the world for His name's sake. God chose to use a local church to do that. Uh, so may God, uh, this morning as we've gathered together, remind us of that and may our commitment be sure. So I want us to go this morning to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. And as we talk about communion in the sense of what Paul writes to the first church there in uh, Corinth, this is about proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes and the importance of that. Because we're not saved by our good works and we're not saved by just adhering to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although as Christian people, we should. We should do that. It's part of it. But that in and of itself is not going to save you. Being the good person is not going to save you. Again, God's people, uh, we are to take the call of God on our life seriously. But we're not saved on our works. We're saved on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that He paid in full the price for our sin. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 23. And I'm going to ask you this morning if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, and this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, this morning, thank you for the privilege to gather together uh, to be of one accord, Father. And I pray that as we are here, that God, you would speak to our hearts and that later as we take part in this ordinance in communion, uh, that, Lord, we would do it with a heart that is sincere and that, Lord, is right with not only you, but right with our fellow man. 
And Father, guide the message this morning that it would accomplish in full your will, your work, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. As Paul writes to the first church, speaking of this ordinance that was given uh, to the disciples uh, in, in the day in which they would be observing Passover, uh, God gave them something different, something new that would take on a completely different message to the church, those who are blood-bought, those of the new covenant. And the purpose in this was for us to be reminded often of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in taking part in this, we would be reminded of the fullness of the gospel, the simplicity of it, but the fullness and the completion of that gospel that whoever would faithfully place their trust in Him would be gloriously saved. And we were to do that as a way to always bring us back to the simplicity of that. You know, we can certainly uh, overcomplicate things, can't we? Uh, I mean, just in our day and world today, things that, you know, would seem so simple at one time, it's just overly complicated in a lot of respects. Just to, you know, uh, get, get something, uh, you know, uh, taken care of. You call on a phone. Who, whoever knew that we'd live in America and we'd have to tell the people on the other end what language we spoke. We just thought that'd be obvious. And then, you know, when you work through all of that, you know, you, you just talk into a computer, they'll never understand Southern dialect. It's not in, uh, that's why artificial intelligence is never going to take the place of human beings because the South is going to be independent of that. Trust me. And even if they do get good enough to take care of South Georgia, they'll never take Louisiana. So, you know, it, it's going to fail. I don't know how, I, regardless of how good you are, uh, you know, unless you've got some folks from uh, southern Louisiana doing this, it's going to fall short. But uh, things uh, at one time that seemed so simple uh, are now just so complex. Working on an automobile today, you know, it used to be so basic. And now a tune-up, you know, was, used to be uh, maybe a set of points or some plug wires and an air filter now requires a guy with a computer and extensive training and you pay about $500. So things are much more complicated than they need to be. And you know, if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing with the gospel. It's our, sometimes we intend to tie things to it. And the, through the history of the church, sometimes we've struggled with that. And as we get into the church ages and church history uh, next week, as we're looking there at those churches in Revelation, you'll see that. And how really the dark ages were a result of how God's people didn't have the simplicity of the word and the gospel at its core of what it meant. Man, listen, when we look at communion, it's very simple. It's bread, it's unleavened, nothing special in it. It's just simple. It's just juice. It's just, you know, fruit that comes from the pressing of grapes. It's very simple. Such is the life of Christ. The Bible tells us that in, in the Lord, he, he was common. He was the son of a carpenter. As a matter of fact, when the Pharisees would learn that he come from Nazareth, they would say, well, I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? And yet it was in those simple form, that simple form and the simple ways of Christ that God found a way to save all of those completely 
fully, who would place faith and trust in Him. And so we're reminded of that in just the, the simple nature of this ordinance. And Paul, as he writes to that first church, he says that, you know, I'll receive this and I'm telling you, I'm giving this to you. And the point of this, in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Now, apart from the death of Jesus Christ, there's no hope. Because Paul would later write that unless the Lord be, be crucified but be risen, then you and I are, of all people, most miserable. Because our hope and our faith rest in not only the fact that He paid for our sins, but that He uh, came out of the grave, that He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so as we take part in this, we proclaim the Lord's return. And Jesus promised His return. He promised to return. In John 14, He said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to return again. That's, that's where we get this idea that the Lord is going to return. Uh, he's going to come back for that which He has uh, promised that He would. The church, His people, God desired to do that and He has given us His word that He will indeed do that. Now, when the Lord Jesus returns, He will complete fully the purpose of what it means to be saved completely. Well, what do I mean by that? that? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, if you go down there to verse 51... Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, at this, uh, which we spoke of, uh, spoke of a few weeks ago, this idea that the return of Christ begins with this unique event specific to the New Testament church. We call it the rapture or the snatching or the taking away of God's people. And it is in this event that Paul alludes to that this is going to take place uh, at the last trumpet. Now, he mentions that we will not all sleep. In other words, there will be, the church will be active and there will be people alive at the time that that trumpet sounds and the Lord snatches away His church. That's what it says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In other words, when we are, uh, if we're alive when the Lord returns to in, in the clouds to call His church home, we will be changed. This body here is not fit for heaven. It's not fit for the presence of God. But He is going to fashion us with a new body that is going to be uh, 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 certainly uh, what is needed. And, and, and it will be evident that it will be different than this mortal body. It will be sufficient for us to dwell with the presence of the, in the presence of the Lord and forever be with Him. Now he said in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, that death is swallowed up in victory. That at that moment... That fulfillment of Scripture where no more sin, not, no presence of sin any longer, we have been completely saved so that verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? 
And the Bible reminds us that the sting of death is sin and that the strength or the power of sin is the law. But verse 57 and verse 58, Paul says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Man, that is great news for the child of God. That he has promised that he's going to return and when he returns we shall be changed. This body and all of its issues will not be in the very presence of God. We will be with God in a place where there is no sin anymore. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, Peter details this to us a little bit more. In verse 27 of Hebrews 9, it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and to those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. In other words, you and I will truly one day understand. Here we have come by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin because we have placed our saving faith, the saving faith in Jesus Christ. So our sin now is not laid on us. Our sin was laid on Jesus on that cross. And so when we left that altar or we left our bedside or wherever you were, when you by faith prayed and received Christ as your Lord and Savior, from that point on, Again, this process of sanctification where now you've been saved from the penalty of sin. God will no longer, any longer hold you and I uh, in, in contempt or we no longer will be judged for our sin. Christ has been judged for us and now we're going to be sanctified. We're going to be this, through this process of being saved from the very power of sin. Because as we were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the old man has been crucified, put to death, new faith, new hope, new life in Jesus Christ, new nature in Him, and now we are to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, having victory over the power of sin because of the nature in which He's given us. That's sanctification. Saved from the power of sin. But one day, when the Lord returns, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. See, we, we still live in a sin-filled world. We do. No matter where you go, you're going to see the effects of it. You're going to hear the effects of it. You're going to witness the effects of it. Because we are living on a sin-cursed world. And we live in an in a area, or we live in a world that knows what sin is, that actively acts upon sin. And so we are faced with that, the presence of sin. That's why Paul said, be steadfast. Don't move. Don't compromise. Stand for the truth. Stand in the power of the Word. Understand that one day we'll be removed from the presence of sin, but as long as we're here on this earth, we will always have to deal with that. So we know that Jesus promised to return. We also know not only that Jesus promised to return, which by the way, that's good enough. Right? That's good enough. But we also know in Scripture that as we read in the very first chapter of Acts, we know that God's angels, His messengers, also proclaimed that He would indeed return. And He also declared in the manner in which He would return. 
Notice in Acts chapter 1 verse 10. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, Jesus is there, one final sermon, the great commission, go, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he ascends into heaven and everybody's, you know, like we all would, we'd be standing there looking. The Lord left the mountaintop. I mean, you know, he left the, he's, he's going up into the clouds. He's going up into the heavens. And they're standing there and they're looking and they're watching. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever uh, let a balloon loose or you've lost a balloon as a child and they're pointing and they're standing there and they're watching and at some point it gets so high you can't see it any longer. And so I can just imagine that they were gazing into heaven as the Lord ascended and they were, uh, you know, can we, is, is that him or is that just a speck now? Do I really see uh, the Lord any longer? And as they finally realized he, he's gone, I can't see him and they... And they looked around and they noticed there were two angels standing there looking at them like, boy, that took a while. And the angels gave them a promise. It says in verse 10 that while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Which is why a few weeks ago, we're going to meet him in the air. We're going to meet him in the clouds. And we will so ever, forevermore be with the Lord as the church, as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that comforts you this morning. Because God has given us this promise and the angels have announced that this will happen. This is just another witness. Now, if we believe this, if we believe in the triumphant return of the Lord Jesus Christ, there ought to be in the heart of God's people a joyful anticipation of that return. Now, that begs a question. Not for the person sitting next to you or the person you work with, but it does beg a question. Are you, am I, as a professing believer, am I joyfully anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we, we may not because we're uncertain of how those things will come to pass. Uncertainty bothers us, doesn't it? I mean, we'll do anything to, you know, to, we want to know what's going on. There's an... There, you know, there, there's an entire part of our economy that's just based on futures, right? Trying to predict what's coming financially or economically. We, we want to know what is down the road. I mean, the idea of fortune-telling folks, that's a first-world thing, man. That is a first-century thing. Actually, it's not even... I mean, this has been around since humans existed. People want to know. We don't like uncertainty. Spur of the moment, impromptu things. We want to know. But I want you to understand something. Just because we don't understand everything does not mean that we cannot have joyful anticipation. Our problem with adults is we don't remember what Jesus said with respect to salvation. He said, unless you be converted as a little child, unless you be like one of these little ones, you won't 
enter the kingdom of God, you won't understand the kingdom of God, you won't really truly know what salvation is. Because Jesus spoke of a childlike faith of trust. Now here's why I say that. When I was growing up in the 70s, times were hard. There, economically, there was a lot, we called it the, the malaise, the Carter days. But I want to tell you something. Now, I understand that this may not be you, but I'm, I'm speaking to you from a personal testimony this morning. I never worried about groceries. I never worried about if the rent was going to be paid. I never worried about any of those things. You know why? Because I had a mom and a daddy. And as a child, I knew they would take care of those things. And I, and I didn't worry about it. I could just be a kid. I could just grow up. Now, that may not be everybody, but that is how I understand when I'm thinking about these kinds of things. I don't understand all of it. God doesn't give us... Our, our finite mind can't really understand all things. That's okay. But we can trust. And just as a child trusts their parents that they're going to take care of things uh, and, and not worry about those things, I can have that level of trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And with a joyful anticipation in my heart, I can know that even though I don't understand things completely, He does. And as my child, He's given me promises and assurances that I can believe in and hold fast in, and so I don't have to worry about that. So if you're concerned, about the uncertainty, and you don't know how all that's going to work out, that's fine. You don't. Just understand God, your Heavenly Father, He's got it taken care of. And as His child, you're going to be okay. So live faithfully and trust the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're not joyfully anticipating that, another reason why you may be too entangled in the world. Folks, there, there are many people today that would profess to be Christians that love this world, that are entangled in this world. And it robs them of the joy in Christ because sometimes in America, Christianity is sold as this desire that if you come to faith in Christ, you're never going to have a bad day anymore. There's never going to be suffering. Folks, listen, you know this. You understand that as a Christian you have aches, you have pains, you have cancers, you have bad uh, blood work, you have all of these things. You are no different than the rest of the world with respect to what sin will do to this body. But we are at a greater advantage in understanding that nothing comes into my life that has not been first filtered through the hands of a gracious, merciful, and loving God that if He allows it into my life and He brings me to it, there is a promise and an assurance in my heart that I will get through it. I can trust Him. But you may be not anticipating the return of Christ this morning because you're not truly saved. You're not born again. You might believe in God and that's great. That's a good place to start. But do you realize James tells us that the devil, that the demons of hell believe, they know there's a God. It's not just enough to just believe that there's a God, but to surrender and to submit your life fully and completely to the very person of Jesus Christ, that He would be Lord of your life, that He would have preeminent in, preeminence in your heart, that He would sit on the throne of your life. 
He's returning for those that are His children that have been saved. Are you anticipating that this morning with joy? Finally, as the Lord promised His return, as the angels testified to that return, the apostles in their ministry through that first century declared that Jesus would indeed return. As I Peter believed in the glorious return of Christ. Paul believed with all of his heart that the Lord would return. And John, as the one who authored the book of Revelation, listen to this. In Revelation 22, the very last chapter, wrapping it all up, wrapping all of eternity up, really, summing it all up, Revelation 22 tells us, John says on three different occasions. In verse 7 he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. With an exclamation point. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And in verse 20, He who testifies to these things, says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The apostles declared it. The church preached it. They taught it. And we have carried on that same doctrine and that same teaching now for 2,000 years. The Lord will return. That leaves us with one overwhelming conclusion. This morning as we've gathered to take part in this ordinance of communion. Are we ready? Have we done what is required to take part in this have we examined ourselves as Paul would write in verse 27 through verse 29 that we could as God's people eat and drink this in an unworthy manner are we willing to examine ourselves vertically are things right between us and the Lord horizontally are things right with one another. Paul said, Let a man examine himself so that he would eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Listen. Christ didn't go to a cross, come out of a grave on the third day, give us the power of the Spirit of God in us so that we could just, you know, be willy nilly and live like everybody else. He didn't do that. He gave us those things so that we could have power and victory over things in our life. And listen, we fall short. We make mistakes. We do. Again, we're still living in the presence of sin. But it's moments like this morning that we're reminded to really examine ourselves. That's that's why we do this four times a year. Every quarter, we take part in this ordinance. We're to do it often. 
Now that, and, and it just depends. I mean, there, there are churches that do it once a year. There are churches that, have, that do this every Sunday. This church has agreed to do it four times a year. Basically every quarter. And there are distinct periods of time uh, that, we, that we take part in this that are unique to Easter, to Christmas, that perhaps it has even more meaning to you as a believer. But the reality is, we're doing this proclaiming salvation through Him and Him alone until the day returns. And we might really, I mean seriously, we need to realize this morning, we may very well be the raptured generation. We're living in this Laodicean age. I, I don't see one behind that. At some point, time is going to expire. And we will do this with the Lord Himself. Until then, what do we do? We examine ourselves so that we do not drink it in an unworthy manner. We examine ourselves so we keep short accounts with God. We're right with Him. We're right with one another. And so in just a moment... As we close this service, we will have an opportunity to do that. You can come to these prayer benches, the altar here, or you can stay right where you're at. But it is important that we take this occasion to be right with God. To be right with Him and to be right with one another. Would you join me this morning, church? As we close this service, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to lead us in prayer and I want us to take just a few moments to be honest before God and to be honest with one another. Christ says we must forgive. Just as He forgave us, we must forgive. We must make things right. And I pray that you would do that so that with the joy that is meant to be in our hearts of what this is about, we could share that and experience that as a body of believers. Will you bow your hearts with me this morning? Father, we love you and we acknowledge today, God, that even on our best day, Lord, we're still clothed in this flesh and we fall short, we struggle. God, we're grateful that you tell us that there's one day, Father, where we will not have to deal with the infirmities of this body, but that, God, we'll be changed. We'll have a new body fit for heaven one that's not subject to the failures of this flesh. I pray, God, that we be mindful this morning that, Lord, if, we've, if we're out of fellowship with you, out of fellowship with one another, God, we take this opportunity to make things right with you. God, help us to just be honest and open with you this morning. And I pray that you do a work in every heart. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. As we uh, stand and we sing this song of invitation, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. If you've never been saved, not a better day than a day to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you step out in faith? Would you come? As soon as we sing, if you desire to unite with this church, would you step out in faith? Would you come? Would you make that known today? Do what God is calling you to do this morning.
for you and for me. You may be seated. I want to ask our deacons if you would come and Those of you who will be serving the bread, if you'll come up this time, lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you once again, dear Lord, as humble as we know how, Lord. Coming for a special occasion, Lord, and I pray that you've heard our prayers, Lord, and you've cleaned our feet. Amen. One more time. Yes. Lord, we know that Whenever you were brought before Pilate, and the people were demanding that you be crucified, Pilate said, I don't find any fault. He washed his hands, and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the people said, his blood will be on us and our children. Lord, we all got your blood on our hands. But what a merciful God. Amen. Lord, when your body was beaten and torn, that blood came. And you just promised us if we just accept that blood all over us, that we'll be saved. We come celebrate that this morning. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Let's go to the back.
appreciate you. Matthew 26, verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body.
The Lord told his disciples that this was representative of the blood of the new covenant and that his blood was shed for many for the remission of sins. He blessed it. He said, drink from it, all of you. Verse 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Their lives would forever be changed from that night forward. And I pray that as we've gathered today to take part in communion, that we would leave here never the same, uh, that this, all, this would always be fresh, new, uh, joyful in our hearts, uh, faithful until His return. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And Jonathan, blessed be the tithe. 387 in your Baptist hymnal.